Stanley Hauerwas is regarded by many as one of the world's most influential living theologians. He was named America's best theologian by Time magazine in 2001 and is known as a Christian pacifist and outspoken critic of some of the values Americans hold dear. Today, at 79 years old and an emeritus professor at Duke University, North Carolina, he remains an acute observer of contemporary politics. With just days to go to the US presidential election, he's come to London to give a lecture at St Martin in the Fields Church on the subject My Neighbour, My Nation and the Presidential Election. And so Stanley's joined me, Mike Waldridge, in one of the church offices overlooking Trafalgar Square to try to make sense of the perhaps perplexing, certainly to UK listeners, state of US politics at the moment. Stanley Howarth, welcome to Things Unseen. It's very good to be here. You were raised in a working-class family. Your father was a bricklayer. You were yourself apprenticed in the same trade. You left that behind for an illustrious career at the highest levels of academia. It's clearly a story of making the most of your life, a story of how many people have traditionally viewed America and its opportunities. But people around the world are struggling to make sense of what's going on in America today, given the nature and the rhetoric of political debate around the presidential election. What's your explanation of it? I ask all my friends around the university and, and where I go to church, do you know anyone that's going to vote for Donald Trump? And all my friends don't know anyone that's going to vote for Donald Trump. And I point out then that indicates that we're living with two Americas, that there is a whole population that have not felt themselves part of the American project. They are largely white males from 25 to 65 that feel left out of the the central parts of American life. There's a big debate whether Trump has created them or whether he just discovered them. Probably a bit of both. We'll delve into all that in just a moment, but First of all, do you think it is possible that Donald Trump could win the election? With the most recent developments, with the FBI discovering all these emails and making them public, I think Hillary Clinton will still win, but I wanted her to be able to crush him because the future of American political life is going to be determined with what happens to the Republican Party after the election. Whether the establishment that's part of the Republican Party can reclaim the party and reclaim it in a way that the party finally realizes it's not going to survive on white male votes, but you're going to have to reach out to the Hispanic population, to the African American population. That's really going to be crucial. So clearly a time of huge anxiety, uncertainty then uh, around the whole election. Mr Trump's ascendancy to the Republican nomination, I suppose his hijacking of the party, some people would say, uh, clearly didn't happen in a, in a vacuum, as, as you were indicating just a moment ago. What then do you think were the key factors in it? I think giving voice to resentment is very deep that many Americans 
feel resentment of developments that have been associated with the civil rights movement and the ability of Trump to uh, give voice to what is almost explicitly racism without it being named as such has been a very influential move. When he talks about law and order, people forget that that was the language that was used against the civil rights movement, but it evokes in people a sense that some people have gotten ahead without appropriate work and talents that uh, is unjust. And so uh, he has ridden that wave of resentment to underwrite what I regard as some of the most deleterious aspects of American politics. I mean, you've portrayed that negatively about him coming, coming from where you do. But in your lecture here, you say Donald Trump has given voice to this much broader, widespread discontent, you call it, in American culture. You say he's exploited uh, racism, anxiety, that do, though, have their roots in the profound sense of unease many Americans have about their lives, that they are profoundly unhappy with the lives they're living or have lived. How has all this come to pass? Well, I attribute it to uh, what in America is a fundamental sense of what liberty is to look like. I say the project of modernity, uh, which America is the lead society for its exemplification, is to produce people who believe they should have no story except the story they chose when they had no story. Uh, That's called freedom. And if you don't believe that's your story, I can illustrate it this way. Do you think you ought to be held responsible for decisions you made when you did not know what you were doing? No American thinks they ought to be held responsible for decisions they made when they did not know what they were doing. And, of course, what that does is make marriage unintelligible. (laughs) I mean, how would you ever have known what you were doing when you promised lifelong monogamous fidelity? So you get stuck, therefore, with the presumption that you have lived a life that you've chosen, and it turns out to be a life that is deeply unsatisfying, exactly because you've chosen it. And that, I think, is why people are deeply morally dissatisfied with the kinds of lives they've lived, and they think somehow or the other Trump gives them a way to escape that. But maybe you could say that of of many peoples and many nations. Why, Why is it having this particular effect in America? America is the only country that was founded on a philosophical mistake. And the mistake was the notion of inherent rights. And that holds us together in a way that no other society has ever quite been held together. Namely, you can do what you want as long as you don't harm someone else. And therefore, I get to exercise 
my inherent rights, which are chips against other people's inherent rights. Can you explain something that seems to be, on the face of it, a contradiction about what people call Trumpism? Mm -hmm. Uh, In much of middle America, the white working class form a significant part of his core support. But across the nation as a whole, his supporters are generally wealthier than most Americans. What does that tell us? Does it, in fact, tell us that the Trump phenomenon goes beyond issues around dispossession? I suspect that's true. I wasn't really aware that most of his supporters are better off than those that are supporting Hillary Clinton. I think quite a few commentators have suggested that. Yeah, that may well, I I just don't know. But I, uh, having money doesn't make you happy. <laughs> and you never have enough in America. I don't care how, how wealthy you are, you still don't have enough. I find it unbelievable that people think that um, since he's such a great businessman, he will know how to make America more wealthy. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, uh, when you started off with $14 million <laughs> as, as a start, I mean, you don't exactly start from nowhere. So that he is such an ingenious businessman is just myth. <laughs> but people somehow believe it. And, that, and people think, oh, well, I will get wealthier with him in the White House. Interestingly, religion seems to have receded into the background for much of the presidential election campaign, uh, which might indeed seem odd when, according to the Pew Research Center, for example, two-thirds of Americans say it is important for the President of the United States to have strong religious convictions. Um, The evangelicals have been peculiarly fascinating in this regard because of clearly Trump's sexual misconduct they nonetheless, many of them, still support him. And that is a mystery of how and why they are doing that. They would be dead set against Bill Clinton, but uh, Trump somehow gets away with it. The crucial move in America is the distinction between the public and the private. And religion has become clearly part of the private And because it is the private, while there will be angry voices representing this or that uh, faith, they understand finally, but that's just my convictions. They're private. They are not a public manifestation. Donald Trump is a professed Presbyterian, Hillary Clinton, a Methodist, but maybe it reflects what you've just said, that that both rarely seem to talk about their own faith very much. Actually, Hillary does. Uh, She comes from uh, the social gospel form of Methodism. George McGovern came from that same background. And she's very explicit about the significance of that, and I think it was significant for her. Trump was brought up not just Presbyterian. He went to Norman Vincent Peale's church in Manhattan, which is the power of positive thinking. So he thinks Jesus is primarily there to make you wealthy. (laughs) I don't think uh, he's ever had a serious encounter with Jesus. 
And, and do you think his exposure to that um, theology of positive thinking, the rejection of negative thought, do you think that that also influenced his his self-promotion, his determination to win at everything at all costs? I think you can't give an explanation for a sociopath. <laughs> I have no idea from where it comes, but everything that is associated with him, he will claim is of some use for establishing his identity as a winner. How far do you think that the the controversies that have swelled around uh, Mr Trump, particularly over the treatment of women, how far do you think they've complicated the long-standing relationship in American politics between conservative white evangelicals and secular political conservatives are are the conservative evangelicals still really a core part of his his support in this campaign or or has he in fact jeopardized that relationship and it doesn't seem like he has jeopardized that relationship jerry falwell's son uh, the president of liberty university still continues to support trump with everyone needs to be forgiven kind of claim. It's very hard to understand why they're doing that without even being able to acknowledge it for themselves. They put politics prior to their religious faith in this regard. One of the background issues is abortion and that they think that Trump is going to change that is just sheer myth. Uh, because they've had 20 years of Republican rule at various times, and Roe versus Wade is still the law of the land. It's been reported during the campaign that a, a section of the American church feels that it's fine to vote for Donald Trump because God works with our weaknesses. Trump, therefore, is a vessel that God will use to bring about his purposes. Uh, uh, do they have a point, theologically speaking? No. God's weakness is to be found in the cross of Jesus Christ in a way that is not a generalizable presumption that would help you identify that Donald Trump is weak in that sense. I think that that's just sheer uh, ideology. And Donald Trump has said, hasn't he, that he doesn't ask for forgiveness and indeed he doesn't bring God into the picture when he makes mistakes. He says he's never done anything that he needs forgiveness for. It's really quite uh, quite remarkable. I don't think uh, the, the concept of sin works for him. What about Hillary Clinton, her faith and the votes of the faithful? Um, I, I find it quite odd that people are so antagonistic toward Hillary Clinton. She's a professional politician. What do they want that she doesn't seem to give them? The fact that she and Bill Clinton have become wealthy after his presidency and her service as Secretary of State and Senator of New York, that's the way the system works. I mean, America is a plutocracy. And Hillary Clinton is probably about as good a representative we could possibly have within those constraints. So I find her articulate. I, quite frankly, she's got a much more aggressive foreign policy than Obama. I'm not particularly happy about that, but it's a 
much better alternative than Trump, for sure. As I said, she comes out of uh, a progressive form of Christianity that uh, has much to be said for it. But her, what you just called her aggressive, more aggressive mm-hmm. foreign policy than Obama's, that, that challenges your lifelong yes. pacifism, presumably. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm a radical in the sense that I've always thought American presidential elections were like the Roman Colosseum. It entertains the populace in a way that directs their attention away from the fact that the inequities that uh, constitute American society do not have to be looked at. I mean, the maldistribution of income in America right now is just amazing. And no one ever makes that part of the political process. Uh, Certainly, Clinton's not going to do that, and certainly Trump's not going to do it. The maldistribution of wealth is just remarkable. So... I have the view that you ride very easy on this assumption that you're going to change much by who you vote for a president, except this election is different. Trump is really different. He's dangerous, and I think that it's very important uh, to stop it. Mrs. Clinton is is said to have stepped up the Democrat outreach to Muslims, uh, who today have a significant profile in the electorate in several of the um, swing states. Do you think her task will have been made easier by Donald Trump's uh, demonising of Muslims, as as many would see? Yes, I I think there's no question of that. I think uh, the Muslim populations in Chicago and Detroit will make a difference in terms of the election, but I think that Michigan and Illinois are fairly safe democratic states to begin with. I mean, one of the dangers, it really is a danger, that where Trump is saying if he, if he loses, he's not clear that he will concede the election. That's just anti-democratic all the way down. I mean, that Gore conceded the election, even though Gore won the popular vote. People forget that Gore won the popular vote. George Bush was elected because of the Electoral College. Now, I really think it's therefore important that Clinton win not only the popular vote but the electoral vote by wide margin. You've written, I love America and I love being an American, the energy of Americans, ability to live out their lives often in unforgiving land, their natural generosity I cherish. But... I am a Christian. I cannot avoid the reality that American Christianity has been less than it should have been to the extent that the church has failed to make clear that America's God is not the God we worship as Christians. Now, that's that's quite a challenge. Uh, Explain more about what you mean by this and the impact that it's had on the nation. American Christianity is basically a form of deism. The idea that we are a Christian nation If we are a Christian nation, the Christianity that we are uh, a religion of is uh, primarily deism. We think it's a very good idea to believe in God, and you get to decide what the God you believe in is. So the religiosity of the American people 
is not uh, a good thing. It's a very dangerous thing just to the extent that the God we believe in is the American God, as I say in that quote, not the Christian God. It sounds as if you're agreeing with commentators who say that all institutions in America have really been shown up during this this particular election campaign, including religion. Oh, absolutely. We have convictions that put us on the edge of American politics. I just or we should have convictions that put us on the edge of American politics, such as um, that Christians find war problematic. That's not a terribly radical presumption that a people who worship a god that was killed by the hands of a Roman imperium should not be surprised that the worshiping that god should put them at odds with a war-making country. But uh, it's, it's very hard to get that across in America. Not just in the United States, but more widely at the moment, there seems to be a desire for what you might call outsider candidates to do well, anti-establishment figures who think they can go in and restore faith in politics. In the UK, the vote for, for Brexit is widely seen as a rejection of the views that were held by many experts about the risks of pulling out of the European Union. Is this kind of search for a political saviour, do you think, a feature you can see continuing, even though such a figure, of course, quite often becomes in turn a part of the the hated establishment? I think there's nothing more dangerous than people thinking that politics can give you a salvation that is otherwise unavailable. And that's to turn the political alternatives, particularly in the worlds like England and America, into a kind of nationalism that is very, very frightening. The presumption being that you're going to find the ultimate meaning in life in being an American or being English. One of the things that has not, for example, become a subject in this election is the fact that America has been at war continuously now for almost 20 years. The military in America, who I have great respect for in many ways, nonetheless, Americans find the sacrifice of soldiers, as they say it over and over again, is what makes America great. And what that does is fail to recognize, at least for Christians, that the sacrifice that we understand should determine our lives is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross not the sacrifice of people being willing to kill other people. You once said of of choosing a president, uh, once you've made your choice, you have to learn to live with it. So there is a kind of resignation that freedom requires. Do do you still feel that in the light of this election? And will you and would you indeed call on the, the nation, use your influence, to live with the outcome whichever way it goes? That's not a decision you're going to get to make. 
you're going to have to live with whoever gets elected. And therefore, if Trump is elected, one of the things you're going to have to do is learn how to live daily as a form of resistance. If he won, is it possible that he could turn out to be very different in office from the the person you've been describing in the election campaign? Who could possibly know? The man is absolutely unpredictable. And he understands that his unpredictability is a form of his power. But of course, I mean, history does show us people who have, have turned out to act in power in a very different way from how they had appeared to try to achieve that power. That's true. God is great. You never know what surprises may come, but I don't expect any good surprises from Trump. Stanley Harworth, thank you very much indeed. Well, I'm, I'm Mike Wooldridge, and I've been talking with the American theologian Stanley Harworth for Things Unseen, the podcast for people who think there's more to life than the purely material. Things Unseen was brought to you by CTVC. And you can hear this programme again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.